you for tuning into the 12th episode of the Virtual Couch Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. And did you know, fun fact, right out of the gate, top of the podcast here, that the Blue Yeti microphone that I am using has a mute button. I had seen the mute button before, but did not realize that when the red light was flashing, that it actually wasn't recording. So uh, I had a nice warm up here for this intro. And uh, and so now we're going to do it again with the mute button not on. So this one actually looks like it's recording. But I am Tony Overbay, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner and creator of The Path Back an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. You can sign up for the Path Back Recovery course, which consists of over 40 high-definition videos and a workbook that, again, will guide you through the process. Right now, uh, if you go there and, and sign up for the program, guide you through the process of breaking free from pornography, addiction, and compulsive sexual behavior. So again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, Pathback Recovery, um, that's also the email address that I would love to hear from you. Contact at pathbackrecovery.com. Or you can head over to virtualcouch.xyz. Yes, that's a real domain name. And there, there's a contact form at the bottom. And uh, you can submit questions or, or show ideas, that sort of thing. And again, the feedback has been phenomenal. And with that said, uh, some of the upcoming episodes are going to have to do with um, talking to your uh, kids about sex, aka the talk, birds and the bees. Um, I have uh, a therapist lined up who's going to come in and talk about eating disorders. We've got somebody coming in to talk about doing uh, kid therapy, um, also OCD and uh, depression, um, anxiety, a lot of different topics that we're going to cover. And uh, just a lot of that has come through your suggestions. And and also, I want to continue to welcome, I've, I've been receiving uh, requests from various publicists and, and a couple of authors who want to come on and promote books that they've written about mental health. And uh, can't wait. I have so much good stuff lined up. But I wanted to record this one solo because I've, I've mentioned a, a phrase a couple of times in some earlier episodes called the emotional baseline. And that is just something that I am passionate about. It's something that um, I, I kind of came up with or developed over a decade ago, and I bring it into my therapy all the time. So um, I've had a couple of questions uh, where people have asked me, what, what do you mean by emotional baseline? So I want to get a little bit more into that today. And before we do that, I do want to, of course, Make a quick thank you to Eli's Extracts, sponsor of The Virtual Couch. Eli's Extracts makes an all-natural organic shaving cream for both men and women. The product is scented using essential oils, which is part of the magic of Eli's Extracts. Did you know that every time you shave, you're literally taking away a layer of your skin, leaving behind skin that is exposed and open to the elements. So what you put on your exposed skin matters, and that's why the folks at Eli's are so proud about their all-natural formula. Why expose your skin to harsh chemicals that only dry out the skin? Ingredients with 20-letter names simply in there to add color to a product or to provide it with a shelf life that will carry the product well into the next decade. Eli's takes the shaving experience seriously, and you should too. With Eli's Extracts, you'll not only get a better shave, but also healthier, better-looking skin. So head over to elis-extracts.com and use the coupon code VIRTUALCOUCH, all one word, to get 25% off your entire order. That's right, 25% off regardless of how much you spend. Well, let's get to it. Before I, I talk about emotional baseline, I had a funny experience just a couple of days ago in therapy and uh, kind of spurred me to think of um, maybe a possible segment. Whenever I have another therapist on, I, I think uh, I think I, I think I want to do this. So I've had this this book when I first decided to go back to school and I've kind of told a little bit about my backstory there. I'd been working in the software industry 
for about 10 years. And then I, uh, I, I was there for the dot-com boom, one of the many who missed the dot-com boom, and then watched the collapse of the tech market there for a little while. And I started my own company, a uh, computer hardware company, and, and you know I had some fun with that. Um, but, uh, but then when I decided to go back to school and get my master's in counseling and start this process, uh, the first book I bought, it was funny, I went on and I bought a book called The Dictionary of Psychology. I thought that would be really important and I would study this thing every day. But the truth is, I don't think I ever really opened it. And it's here in my office, just more as a prop. And, uh, and, and I'm going to use it here in a second. So here's, here's what spurred this. Um, obviously, as a therapist, you get to hear about all kinds of things. And over the years, it is true, you've kind of heard a little bit about um, everything, maybe once or twice, and, uh, and some pretty, pretty interesting um, uh, compulsions, interesting phobias, fetishes, fears, hopes, dreams. And you just learn a lot. And, uh, and it becomes a thing where you don't really get surprised. Um, but you use that data that your client gives you to be able to help them. And sometimes that'll require some additional research or consultation. So a couple of days ago, I'm working with this teenager and the teenager is, is wonderful, very inquisitive and kind of very black and white or all or nothing thinking. So the teenager comes in and, and he says, uh, you've studied psychology, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, he said, okay, so you probably know about lycanthropy. And I got to be honest, that one, I drew a blank. And uh, it was funny, earlier in that day, I forget what the, something, somebody threw something out there. Oh, I, yeah. Somebody had thrown something else out there that uh, it was a little bit off the, off the wall, but I was familiar with it. And I remember having the little internal dialogue in my head when this client threw, threw out this other thing. It had to do with, um, you know, some, uh, uh, some kind of gender roles and that sort of thing. And, um, and I was familiar with this concept and I was pretty excited. And, and the inside of my head, I thought, yeah, that's right. You know, remembering this stuff you studied. So this guy, though, throws out lycanthropy. And I say, I don't know what that one is. And he's like, seriously? You know, you studied psychology. You're a therapist. You're a professional. You're paid to do this. How can you not know what lycanthropy is? And, and I said, yeah, I, I don't really know everything. Um, but, I, you know, and I don't even know if I've ever really stumbled across that one. So that led to a little bit of a discussion. And I looked up what lycanthropy is. And I'm kind of curious if any of you driving know what this is right now. And you'll probably wonder what the context was. It, it, this guy's a gamer, and so it came up about some uh, some characters and some games. So here, here we go. Clinical lycanthropy. Um, clinical lycanthropy is uh, it's defined as a rare psychiatric syndrome that involves a delusion that the affected person can transform into, has transformed into, or is a non-human animal. So I have to admit, I had not worked with the lycanthropic population up to this point, but uh, it was kind of fun to hear about. So, um, and, and once I explained that, and it, it, apparently the werewolves are uh, a big um, target of lycanthropes. So this guy was, uh, had a character that had some sort of werewolf characteristics, and so, so he was pretty excited about that. But so I, what I thought I would do is if I, if I have a therapist in here, I'm going to pull out the Dictionary of Psychology, Penguin Reference, um, not really sure what year this this was made, but uh, I thought I would kind of open it and um, just flip through it, have the therapist say stop, and then kind of uh, start going down the page, and or my guests say stop, and then I'll stop on the particular page, go down the page, and then find a word, and let's see if we have any clue what that means. So I will do it today. I'm looking up. Um, maybe you can hear with my Blue Yeti microphone without the mute button pressed that uh, here's the sound it makes. I will stop, and I'm just going to, I'm still looking up. And I will go down the page. Oh, wow. Okay, my finger kind of stopped between two things that I, I have no idea what they are. The first one is the Lashley jumping stand. That is in the Dictionary of Psychology. The Lashley jumping stand 
I really thought uh, I would like for um, during this game to be able to uh, just talk about any experience they have with whatever the word is. I have none. So a Lashley jumping stand, a device used for experimenting on small animals, usually laboratory rats and animals placed on a stand and must jump toward one or two stimuli placed in front of it. So apparently there's a jumping stand that has been manufactured just for um, experimental mice jumping. So there's a fun fact. But it, my finger was also between that and it's Lata syndrome, L-A-T-A-H syndrome. Again, haven't heard of that one. Um, it is a rare psychiatric syndrome characterized by symptoms of excitement, uh, including echolalia, echoproxia, corporalalia, and sometimes fugue and hallucinations. So it sounds like uh, it is a, a syndrome where people are super excited. So that's kind of funny that we had to put that uh, we had to put that in terms of a syndrome. So if somebody is super pumped, apparently they may have Lata syndrome. Um, so there's your fun fact. I don't know how that segment went, but uh, that uh, I don't know, we're going to call that one. Have you ever heard of? So uh, I have a couple of guests coming in in the studio next week, so I'll be anxious to kind of try that one out. Okay. So let's get to this concept of the emotional baseline. This is truly something that is core to my therapy practice. And I have to admit, I, you know, I love doing these podcasts. And again, the feedback has been amazing. I'm kind of nervous about this one because I want this one to really make sense. So um, forgive me if I kind of, you know, go over things a couple of times or, or maybe break this down uh, in too great a detail. But I think it's really important. So let's kind of go back in the time machine. Uh, let's go back to the time when I was a shiny, a brand new shiny therapist. I'd probably been practicing for a year or two. And uh, boy, it's one of those things still, if you heard the episode that I did on anger and I had my guest, Shauna Roberts, who's also a therapist in here. When you think about when you were first practicing, it's uh, it's just pretty, pretty wild to think about um, how much different your experience is as a therapist uh, a decade later. But, but, you know, I was trying my best then. And I was, I had a, a doctor, um, the client uh, is a doctor that I was seeing. And the doctor was, um, he was in a pretty difficult marriage. And as a matter of fact, when I go back to my shiny and new, I still had just these ideals that we could just, you know, give him some skills, tools. He would go home, put these tools in action. His wife would just get so excited, melt, and then they would live happily ever after. And, and a rainbow would come into their backyard and a unicorn would come across the front yard and just everybody would be happy. And, and this guy was all in. I mean, what a, what a great guy. And he would try things, date nights, writing letters, leaving notes, that sort of thing. And, and it was kind of actually used more against him. So here was his vulnerability. And then his wife was um, actually using that to kind of, you know, make fun of him or call him weak or that sort of thing. So it kind of broke my heart. And I worked with him for quite a while. And, uh, but just a really good guy. And um, again, that was a long time ago. I know he's in a much better place now, which is, is nice. So he he loved to talk about medicine, and his wife had absolutely no interest in hearing about his day, his career, um, his his challenges or struggles. So as he and I developed more of a rapport, he said, hey, it, would it be weird if you just spent the last five minutes of a session um, asking me questions, medical questions? Because like, I just, I love to talk about it. And I thought, sure. I mean, that's if that is what the client wants, then I can meet the client right there. So at that time, I was pretty heavy into my my ultra running career. Now I probably pick, uh, I think I do probably one hundred miler a year. Um, I, I do usually one event where I'm running for 24 hours and try to see how far I can get. And then I'll maybe do a 50 mile run or uh, a couple weeks ago I did 100k. And then, uh, but back at this time I was doing you know one or two events a month um, all over the marathon distance of 26.2 miles. So I was doing a lot of 50ks, which is 31, 32 miles, and 50 milers and that sort of thing. And and part of that was I was just I was eating up the sport of ultra running, and I also had a pretty um, 
a pretty successful blog where I was writing race reports and that was a lot of fun. And so I was getting a lot of feedback from the race reports. And so just doing a lot of racing, but I was also discovering a lot about um, how the body works and hydration and nutrition and electrolytes and imbalances and, and uh, you know, how, how the body um, metabolizes proteins and how many calories it can take in an hour and, and just looking at kind of the science of keeping that body running for hours and hours or miles and miles. So I would ask him a lot of questions about that, and he was great with that, and he had a really uh, good knowledge. Apparently, he had done um, some of his early work in sports medicine, and so so he enjoyed talking about that too. So one day, I'm driving into work, uh, and well, actually, I'll back up. So he, I realized we're getting to the end of one particular session, and I hadn't really thought about a medical question. And so I know it doesn't sound so dramatic of, what could I ask? You know, because you could kind of come up with anything. But, uh, but I felt bad because I hadn't really prepared and I could tell he was kind of getting excited. It was that time that we were going to talk medicine and he was just going to go into his element. And I tried to recall something as quickly as I could to bring up. And that morning driving in to my office, I heard a radio commercial about an antidepressant and the radio commercial, um, you know, they kind of talked about, they had the sad music and the sad voice. And then the person took the antidepressant and then they sounded much better and they were happy. And but then it breaks into that part where it says it's going to go into all the common side effects. And, and, you know, if you've heard those kind of commercials or seen them on TV, they have to cram so many side effects in. And so that guy just goes into over, you know, overdrive as far as how fast he's going through all the side effects. So as a matter of fact, I took a I just kind of printed up all the side effects of one particular antidepressant. And so I will try to mimic this as to what maybe you hear. So after um, the, the person in the commercial is excited and you hear the excitement in their voice and everything's going to be great, then it, you know, it says uh, common side effects may include. And see, I can't even do it. I mean, the guy goes so fast. But here's the side effects of, of an antidepressant. May, may cause dry mouth, nausea, headache, diarrhea, nervousness, restlessness, agitation, and anxiety, increased sweating, weight loss, weight gain, insomnia, drowsiness, fatigue, tremor, impotence, abnormal dreams, abnormal heartbeat, impaired judgment, abnormal bleeding, allergic reaction, skin rash, serotonin syndrome, activation of mania, hypomania, vision problems, seizures, significant weight loss, and here's the one that kind of cued, cued me, suicidal thoughts or behaviors. And I remember driving in that morning thinking, huh, so an antidepressant, and yet they're talking about that it could cause suicidal thoughts and behaviors. So I decided I would ask my my doctor client, hey, okay, I have to go on a quick tangent. Even as I was thinking about that, I had to record a one-minute um, commercial, audio commercial for my pornography addiction recovery program yesterday, the day before. So it had to be 60 seconds and so I could submit it to this uh, this uh, group that's going to run with that commercial for a little while. And so I thought oh, it would be easy. So I sit down and I try to I try to type out a little bit of a script of, you know, hey, I'm from Pathback Recovery and, and all this good stuff about overcoming pornography addiction. And uh, so I type it all up and I'm kind of excited about it. I go through and I edit it a couple times. So then I, I uh, pull up the old podcast studio equipment and I start to record. And, and I record and I talk pretty quick because I know I've got a lot of information there. And I, I apparently whatever I'm using to record, uh, the garage band that I use to record, um, the software program to record my podcast, I don't necessarily see a place where it's telling me how long my recording is. And so I'm a little concerned. I think, yeah, that one might be pushing a minute. So then I go back and I look at the file and, and it tells me that it's two minutes and 41 seconds. So I mean, I was nowhere even close. So then I panicked and I ended up having to edit out all kinds of stuff. And, and you really can't fit as much information in a minute as you think you can. So I can only imagine what it's like where these uh, doing these radio ads or TV ads, they want to get the point across that this antidepressant can change someone's life and make them feel better. 
but then also um, then trying to fit in these 15 or 20 side effects as fast as I can. So that, that is, that's a lot of pressure, I can tell. So, but, but I just went over these, and that last one is this uh, suicidal thoughts or, or ideations. And so I asked the doctor, hey, so out of curiosity, when somebody is taking an antidepressant, how would the suicidal thoughts or ideations come into play? And man, I, I will never forget what he, the way he put this. Now, first of all, um, he's a bit of a storyteller. So he says, uh, you know, I grew up in um, a, a very cold state. Let's just say Wyoming or something. And uh, he says, I grew up in Wyoming. Um, and he said, did you know that it can actually get too cold to snow? And, and I had never heard that. And he said, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they call it anhedonia. And at that time, I wasn't real familiar with the term, but I mean, I've since become a little more familiar with anhedonia. Anhedonia is when, you know, it, people, it is, you are just so flat and numb and the state of anhedonia is just pure. I don't even want to move or I don't, I don't really care about anything. So he kind of talked about this state, this weather anhedonia where it's so cold that it can't even snow. And I have to be honest, I, you know, I've, I've said this emotional baseline speech so many times over the years in my practice and in speaking and that sort of thing. So I, I had to look up and see if that was actually a fact, um, if, if it really could get too cold to snow. So here's what I found on a couple of different uh, weather websites. It says, um, the phrase, it's too cold to snow today when referring to only the impact from temperature may not be true. There's a relationship between temperature and the maximum amount of water vapor that can be in the air. So when temperature decreases, the maximum capacity of water vapor that can be in the air also decreases. Therefore, the colder it gets, the less water vapor there is in the air. And uh, without water vapor, um, there's nothing to then generate the snowflakes. So the more I kind of looked into that, apparently it'll it'll somewhat snow up at higher altitudes. But um, but if there's not enough water vapor in because, you know, there's still some water there, but not enough to actually cause these snowflakes. So kind of correct, you know, can kind of be too cold to appear to be snowing. So back to the baseline. So what the doctor told me was that he said, think of just severe clinical depression. And, and he said, um, that's the type of depression where somebody is literally laying in bed and they're just, they don't get out of bed. Not just that they don't feel like getting out of bed, but they don't get out of bed for, we're talking, I mean, days, weeks. I still remember one of the first clients that I ever met with who had told me about a period like this that he had had for over six months where all he remembers is just looking at the clock, watching the second hand move. I mean, and that was his day. People would try to come visit him and, uh, and his wife had just told him that he just didn't want to see anybody ever. And, uh, and he talked about eventually snapping out of it. But man, that's, that's what we're talking about. So when someone is in that state, uh, he said, imagine then if you could go in and just every day, um, and I'm pulling my lip out right now, but it's as if you, if you, opened their mouth and put an antidepressant in and threw some water in there. And over the course of, you know, antidepressants can take a little bit of time to get in the, the, the system. So give it two or three weeks. And now let's just say this antidepressant is now in, in this person's system. And so it's starting to kind of do its, its job. It's starting to kind of, you know, um, lift the mood a little bit or kind of just something's different. Something's kind of happening different chemically in the brain. So now what happens, he said, is that they go from just this complete flat on the bed, no response, no cares at all, to kind of lifting their head up off the bed and then kind of looking around and taking a look at their situation and saying, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. You know, this, I, I don't know. And, and so that's when this thoughts of suicide come up. So we talked about how then your job as the therapist, as the doctor, whatever it is, is to try and get their their mood, their their you know their emotions, their baseline of emotions up quickly through this 
area where these suicidal thoughts and ideations are there up into a place where, sure, we're kind of still dealing with the depression, but now there's a little bit of hope and it's and the thought is, okay, life isn't great. It might even be really bad, but I'm not thinking about killing myself. Um, so you kind of have to move through that that area. So right there, this, this idea in my mind clicked uh, and that's where I feel like the emotional baseline was born. So when I'm working with a client with... Um, you know, with addiction, if I'm working with a client with depression, anxiety, typically, you know, there's all of these behaviors that that happen because of a lack of fulfillment, satisfaction, um, you know, um, not achieving hopes or dreams or those sort of things in their life. And so they'll turn, they'll either kind of fall into these patterns of depression. And, and I know, you know, there's chemical factors to that as well. Um, but uh, they can fall into these these patterns of depression, which then they don't feel like doing anything. And, uh, and that's where, you know, the emotional brain kind of takes over. But the logical brain can see that if you're not doing anything, then you're really not going to be able to just uh, miraculously get better. So when I see someone's emotional baseline really, really low, here's what I like to tell them. So when they, if they've ever had a time in their life where things were going pretty good, and, and I, boy, I do wish I was recording this one in video today because I've got my hand up high above my head. That's when your emotional baseline is high. Your baseline of emotions are high because things in your life are going pretty well, might even going really well. And you have all of these decisions that come at you every day, decisions as a husband, decisions as a wife, a mother, a father, an employee, an employer, uh, uh, you know, a, um, a, a churchgoer, a, a servant of, of God, uh, you know, a, a pillar of your community, a teacher, uh, all of these things, those come at you every day. If you think about it, those responsibilities are there every day, regardless of how you feel. So if your baseline of emotions is high, you're going to respond in a different way than if your baseline of emotions are low. If your baseline is so low and flat that you don't want to get out of bed or you can barely get out of bed, now try to think in terms of all of these things that you have to deal with and they just seem overwhelming. What can make that even more difficult is if you are surrounded by people who mean well, but they are basically also up here on this higher emotional plane, this higher emotional baseline. It's as if they're kind of looking down at you in this hole and just saying, just, just come on, you know, get it, just get up here. And, and you got this stuff to do. I mean, your kids need you. You got to go to work. You got to go to school. Um, just come on up here. And your baseline of emotions is so low that, that you can't, you know, you can't respond uh, at the same level or place that they're responding. And what's even more ironic is then those kind of interactions make your emotional baseline even lower. He's having some struggles with his wife. Uh, he had some struggles with his his, his kids. Um, he had been unable to um, continue with the particular hobby he enjoyed. And he came to me saying, man, I, I feel like I'm depressed. And he didn't, he said he couldn't understand why. And so, you know, if you throw that into the emotional baseline model, when all of those things are clicking, he's feeling good. And then as each one of those things becomes a struggle, then his emotional baseline lowers and lowers and lowers. And now all of a sudden he still has these decisions to make it work. And as a parent, as a husband, a father, and they just start to feel overwhelming because his overall emotional baseline is low. So I want to kind of introduce another concept with emotional baseline. And that is kind of what we're talking about here is self-care. And we'll hit some of the challenges with self-care as well. But uh, let me give you a little example that I that I share with this from it was a personal example. It might seem a little bit 
trite, but I think it gets the point across. So when my son was in sixth grade, he was in an honors program. And part of that honors program was everybody there had to take band. And, and my son loved it. And he really did. And he, but he wasn't, this wasn't something he had planned on doing. And none of my girls had really done much as far as the, went with band a little bit. I mean, some of them had done a little bit. So we'd been to a couple of performances, but um, on this particular night, we had a band performance. It was around Christmas, so this was a couple of years ago. And we, we try to be fairly healthy with the things that we eat. And at that time, we had been pretty good about having a couple of nights a week where it was unhealthy snack, and the rest of the nights were healthy snack night. And the, and the kids were pretty good about that. So we go to this band performance, and it is an, it is a healthy snack night. But we're all together, and we're watching my son in band, and, and the whole family's there. And it was kind of a blast to see, and um, just it was fun. A lot of the, a lot of neat Christmas songs, and we were kind of watching some of the kids and the faces they would make, and you're watching parents and that sort of thing. Just a really fun experience, one of those kind of uh, just everybody's having a great time. It's, it's the, the Christmas season and music and, and all that stuff. So we get done, and we're super excited for my son and, and for how well he had played. And so we decide, even though... It's a healthy snack night. Let's go get yogurt, frozen yogurt with toppings and the whole nine yards. So we go to the the yogurt place in our town and everything's great. So fast forward a couple of nights later and I think I'd probably saw a lot of clients and I had probably bills to pay. There was some financial stuff. Who knows what was going on? But it was, again, it was a healthy snack night. So kind of the same situation as far as my kids are concerned. But so when my emotional baseline was high, when I've got my family around me, my son's playing band, life's great. It's the Christmas season. Everything's great. My emotional baseline's high. Let's go get yogurt, even though it's a healthy snack. Every, yes, sounds great, right? But take two nights later to my kids. I mean, everything's kind of going great. I'm the one now that is in a little bit lower baseline, a, a lower place, not as good of a mood and then kids say, hey, can we go get yogurt again tonight? And I kind of, you know, I, wait, what are you talking about? You know, it's healthy snack night. We, you know, we, we don't do that. We can't do that all the time. And so, it, you know, it was all based on where I was at. My emotional baseline was, was lower. And so then I respond differently to the same stimulus that come at me every day. So I could have handled that a lot differently. But I was able to acknowledge that uh, my baseline wasn't where it needed to be. And that's an example of how our baseline can fluctuate even day to day. So with depression, though, a lot of times, and like this example I gave a little earlier uh, with this client who had just all of these different things going on, your emotional baseline can just drop and drop and drop over time. And we don't even recognize uh, how low it gets and what that effect it has on us. So this talks about self-care. So I think a lot of times, too, when somebody is overwhelmed and which has, again, caused their emotional baseline to go low, they, they just feel like there's so many things to do. And, and even just that thought, again, kind of lowers the baseline even more. So what I like to do is when I will work with a client, is, let's take depression, for example, and we're going to talk about automatic negative thoughts. We're going to go through all that stuff, find out the backstory, how they process things, what their support network's like. We're going to look at a med medication evaluation. We're going to look at all those things, but I'm going to really start to hone in on as far as what you can do right now is let's start working on, on raising your emotional baseline. So often, then we'll kind of do a little check-in and say, hey, what do you like to do? Um, what are your hobbies? You know, what are your passions? And almost 
you know, to a T when you've got someone in that situation, they'll kind of talk about, you almost get sad about it and talk about, well, there's some things that I used to like to do or things that I haven't done in a while, but I just, you know, I really don't feel like I can take that time to do them. And so then when you kind of, you know, maybe you see where I'm going with this, but when you look at that though, so now this person is so paralyzed by, by depression, by um, feelings of doubt or hopelessness that they don't, they aren't doing anything. But yet when you're kind of saying, hey, what, what's something that you would like to do? And now we're talking about what's something that would raise your emotional baseline. What's a self-care thing that you could do that would help you start to feel a little bit better? And, and again, in this phrase of emotional baseline, what can we do to, first of all, stop this free fall of your emotional baseline? Because the lower it gets, the harder it is to look back up above at all those decisions that you have to make. So how can we first reverse this fall, this emotional baseline just plummeting? How can we stabilize it? And then how can we grow it? And and we're talking even little things matter. So here's an example I love to give as well. I was working with a guy a long time ago, and he had been through a divorce, and it was really hard. Uh, he had kind of been blindsided by some things that had gone on that had led up to the divorce. And so he was working from home. He was in the high-tech industry, I think a computer programmer at the time. And he was struggling. He was struggling to get projects done and uh, just struggling for a lot of reasons. So we identify all these areas that, first of all, of course, you're going to feel this way, right? You're human and you're going through a divorce and there's some other parts of that that you have to process. And now he's he's alone and his kids are all out of the home. And now he has these work projects, these deadlines that are looming. And the more he doesn't do, the worse he feels. He's starting to put on a little bit of weight. He's not being very active. So there you go. There's the emotional baseline just plummeting, which then just starts to pile on, pile on. And he's feeling worse and worse. So I just asked him, what do you like to do? And, uh, you know, and he said, I like to read. And I said, okay, when's the last time you read? And I even thought this was even more fascinating. Um, he was a, a pretty religious guy as well. And he said, you know, when I start thinking that I want to read, I really feel like what I should be reading is, and he listed off a name of a, a lot of books that are, um, I mean, of course, there was Bible and, and some of those kind of things in there, but there were also some deep books about spirituality and these things that he felt like he should be reading. He, you know, he said, if I'm going to take that time to read, I should be reading these other books. But he said, if I even start to read those books, I'm not into them, which then makes me feel even worse. And so now all of a sudden, this thing that was my passion uh, is kind of not as not as exciting for me anymore. So when we frame that in terms of this emotional baseline, I said, what do you like to read? And ironically, I like to read John Grisham. I love the John Grisham books too. I don't remember which one was out at the time. So I'd asked him if he had, he had heard of it or read it. And he's like, well, yeah, I, I see it all the time, you know, at bookstores or um, you know, wherever it is. And so basically, you know, long story short, which I got to tell you, I love when clients will have told a long story and then they, they realize they want to wrap it up. And they'll say, you know, long story short. And uh, I, in my mind, sometimes I always want to jokingly say too late. And so I think that's where I'm at right here. Long story short, he then we, we basically prescribe for him to take about 15, 20 minutes a day in the morning and just read for pleasure. Just just go get the John Grisham book and read it. And uh, so he reports back a week or so later. And sure enough, he had and we're talking we, that was about all that we really said. Let's let's introduce this concept of emotional baseline and self-care. And then let's try to find some ways to start to raise your emotional baseline to help you stop feeling paralyzed. And so he comes back and he reports that, you bet, he read, you know, 15, 20 minutes. He said he might have, you know, every now and again gone 30. But then when he put the book down, he, he felt better. He felt like, okay, that, that was enjoyable. That was self-care. He did something for himself, which then allowed him to walk right over and start doing a little bit of coding and doing a little bit of work you know, with programming. So we started looking at a lot of different things. He loved to walk his dog, didn't feel like he should take the time to. So then we had this routine going right where it was, 
uh, do a little reading, um, go on a walk with the dog, and then it was get more programming done. He was able to then start to work in more of the get a little bit of exercise. Now he's going back to, you know, instead of feeling all this guilt around his um, his religious study, he started to tackle a little bit of uh, a little bit of scripture study, uh, maybe a morning devotional and not feeling like he had to, to tackle these big, deep books on um, spirituality. And so and I have to tell you, that is one of those I'm telling you, the rainbow came across the sky and the unicorn pulled up. And because I, I saw him many years later, he was remarried. He was um, a servant in a, in a pretty neat position at his church. And I was speaking at uh, some regional event and he came up and man, just beaming. And and he was remarried and just in a great place. And so that was a really exciting thing for me to see. And he and I had a good talk about that. It was that, that emotional baseline, starting to realize that he deserved some self-care and that, that some of that self-care then led to these bigger changes. So now if you kind of see why I'm framing that, that self-care starts to raise the emotional baseline back up. And when you're raising the baseline up, then all of a sudden things can seem a little more hopeful. And I really do feel like you get to a point where, you know, there's, I call it the tipping point. There's a, there's a water slide park near where I work. I mean, I can kind of basically see it. But it's called Sunsplash, and I've gone there many times with my kids. And you go over to this one area of Sunsplash, and there's this giant bucket of water that's just it has this water pouring into it, and it's way up high. It's above your head. And over time, the water just keeps pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, and you'll see these little kids just kind of standing in this area. And if you don't know what they're standing there for, boy, go over and walk near them. And then all of a sudden, when that bucket has enough water in it, then it tips. And then the water all comes down and, and it just, you know, splashes everybody and, and everybody runs around and it's uh, it's fun. So I look at the emotional baseline. There's a similar effect. So the more of this self-care you do, the more you raise your emotional baseline, the more you start to feel hope, the more you can respond better to those decisions that are coming in around you every day. And at some point, your baseline gets up high enough. But then I almost feel it's like this similar. It's this tipping point where then all of a sudden, everything just seems more hopeful. Everything seems more doable. So you've taken somebody who's felt paralyzed because of all of these things that have lowered their emotional baseline. You've started with some self-care and slowly worked that baseline up. And meanwhile, doing a lot of work with the thoughts and support systems and that sort of thing. But you can't even get to that work effectively if the person is you know, so low that they don't, they don't see hope or they don't want to do anything. So what are the channels? Well, let me, let me quickly address this with medication too. Uh, so a lot of times medication, you know, go back to this antidepressant example, medication, I believe can help quickly raise the emotional baseline. And that's, that is significant. If your baseline is incredibly low, even if medication just bumps the baseline up a little higher, now put it into how I've kind of described this or my view is now your baseline is higher. And so you're able to now tackle some of the things that you need to around you and, then I get the question a lot too of, well, hey, I don't want to be on medication my whole life. First of all, I say, you know, there are people that are on blood thinners or cholesterol medication or those sort of things because of genetic uh, parts or genetic things in their life. And they're on those things the rest of their life. And it's, and it is what, and it is what it is. That's what you do to stay alive. So my first reaction typically is, you know, if the medication works and you're living a nice full life, then I would I would be excited about that. I would try to live in that moment, be present, and just be excited that you are in a better place. Now, and I guess part B of that is I have seen plenty of clients where as they work on their emotional baseline and they get that baseline up high, we're talking, you know, getting close to this tipping point, then if they do with the help of their psychiatrist or their or their doctor wean off of a medication, then their baseline at times might take a little dip. 
But overall, it's high enough now because they have been able to do all of these self-care and learn these skills that then they can still manage function well and then start to work on you know building that baseline back up to where it was using these skills and tools that they've learned as they've raised their emotional baseline. So I think that medication can play a really important role and and really taking that um, emotional baseline up quickly. But but that you know that brings up that question too of where I have people that take antidepressants and don't go to therapy, or I have people that go to therapy who probably need antidepressants. And and I hope you can see where I'm going with that. So if people are just taking an antidepressant and not doing any of the self care work or the challenging their thoughts work or or that sort of thing, it's going to bump up your baseline a little bit. But but boy, you're missing out on um, learning all these other skills and tools that can help you. Uh, in your life that you maybe previously didn't have access to because you were feeling so low. And then the same thing is people that come in and just blatantly say, I am anti-medication. And I, you know, and I understand, I mean, I, I think I often tell people that when I went into, um, when I went to grad school, I, I don't know, I just had that same thought. I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to go worrying about people's pasts and we don't need medication and let's deal with the now and, you know, um, all positive and let's go. And then I remember my first psychopharmacology class where the guy talked about, you know, if you have a medication for blood pressure or uh, cholesterol or a a variety of other things, you know, do you take it? And people say, yeah, well, I have to take that. And then he talked about, okay, what about one that affects, you know, a medication that can help your brain and your brain is kind of in charge of everything. Will you take that? And people go, well, no, 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 I'm not going to mess with something that's uh, working on my brain. And I remember going, huh, okay, that's, that is kind of ironic, isn't it? And then over the years, I still remember my very first client who came to me and, and got on antidepressants. Uh, he was going through a divorce. And he told me that what it had done was stopped his mood from going into the basement. You know, he said it, it didn't magically make everything better, you know, but it stopped him from going as low, kind of normalized where he was at. And, uh, and I love that. So, you know, so I've worked in that area now for a long time where if that can help you raise your baseline, then great. If somebody comes in and tells me they're adamantly against medication and they just want to do therapy, I'm there. And I, and I have the, the, the skills or the tools to try to help them raise that baseline. But, but at times, if their baseline is so low, it's hard to get them to engage with the tools. And then they act like, you know, hey, this isn't working. So that's, uh, that's just kind of a thought on medication and baseline. So some of the things that come up. Uh, I don't have time. You know, I hear that one all the time. I don't have time for self-care, even though they just spent an hour telling me how they're paralyzed and really can't do anything. That's here comes a cliche. But, you know, is it that you don't have the time or are you not making the time? And I hear that with every, you know, I hear that with a lot of things and and I'm guilty of it as well, whether it's exercise or uh, I'll tell you, I've done some amazing, you know, changes in my eating at times. And ultimately what happens is the food prep is what kills me. And that's me saying, I don't have the time, but no, I I just, I don't want to take the time when that, when that becomes an issue. Here's another one that I deal with a lot. I, uh, I deal with a, a heavily um, Christian population of clientele. And there is so there's good old, we call it good old Christian guilt, right? If you, if you engage in self-care, then you're being prideful or selfish or that sort of thing. But here's where I, I have to say, if, you, if that self-care raises your emotional baseline, then it allows you to be a better, again, mother, father, husband, wife, servant, um, employee, employer, and and it allows you to be to be more engaged in service. Those kind of things. And I did want to. I, I wanted to. I start a little note in my outline here. I do want to say about service. So yes, I'm saying that I, you know, people 
need to be their best selves in order to be able to do the things that, that they want to do. And that, I again, yeah, I'm passionate about this emotional baseline. But I will say on service, still, one of the greatest ways to get out of your head, um, and so don't get me wrong, is service. So when somebody is stuck in their own thoughts, serve somebody else. My church does a ton of service. Some of my greatest family memories are around service, painting curbs around the town, cleaning up the creek every year, creating hygiene kits for people affected by natural disasters, volunteering at Special Olympics um, with youth or, you know, you name it. And and even just going through our own home and sending things to uh, Deseret Industries, which then delivers um, clothing and all of these things all over the world. It's just amazing. Uh, and there's a lot of just, there's service opportunities everywhere. I think <laughs> I should have been prepared for this. I think justserve.org is a website where you can go to and you can learn about um, service opportunities in your community. So, uh, boy, that uh, that just made me think of two quick stories. Um, I'll try to be quick with these. One, I've been asked to do some counseling with a very, very dear, sweet elderly woman um, who could not get out of her home, and so I I would go over there, and and there was uh, this woman's church was paying for a couple sessions, and and then they they kind of said, hey, I think we're you know we're good, and I couldn't uh, as far as like helping financially. And I, I couldn't stop seeing this woman. I mean, she would cry. She told me that, you know, it helped her a lot and that if I couldn't see her, that it would just break her heart and that sort of thing. So I arranged to to go by her place and do therapy in the mornings on the way to my office. So then she started, you know, when she kind of, I told her it didn't matter about the money, that sort of thing with her and that I enjoyed working with her. So she started making me breakfast and talk about service. So she she was a great cook and had cooked for decades and decades. But again, she was getting older. And so there were a couple of times where I think she had maybe wondered if she had salted something and then gone and salted it again and then wondered a little bit later and then salted it again. And uh, man, I I ate some of the most salty meals of my entire life and just just took it like a champ. You know, didn't even know, oh, man, this stuff is great. And so, uh, but boy, she would just make me the biggest breakfast. And then she found out I like pie. And so then here I am, you know, at seven in the morning or something on my way to work. And uh, and I'm over there doing some therapy while I'm eating just the, the craziest salty bacon and gravy and then finishing off with chocolate pie. So those particular mornings when I would see her, I mean, I literally, I've already confessed as an ultra runner, I would literally make sure I ran at least a half marathon that morning. So it had to be at least 13 miles to be able to justify the amount of calories that I was going to take in. And then one other quick one. Long ago, um, I was uh, I was... I was assigned a family, an elderly family to kind of work with and just look after and check in with every month or two. And they needed a lot of help. And so two or three times a week, I would go and split wood at their house and cut wood. And I would bring some of the youth that I was working with with me. And and so, boy, plenty of opportunities for service. And they had found out this was actually after my very first marathon. So I guess this was in the late 90s. And uh, they had a jacuzzi tub. And so they they said, man, you serve us all the time. We are going to serve you. So after this marathon, I want you to come over here and you can take a bath in our hot in our jacuzzi tub. And I panicked. And, you know, it was a long time ago. I was young and I just said, boy, that would be awesome. So sure enough, uh, I think a day after this, the Sacramento or California International Marathon, maybe 97, 96, 98. I head over there, um, snuck my swim trunks in there, and just, uh, boy, they were, they were just beaming, wanted me to take a bath in this jacuzzi tub. 
and uh, got in there. And so, you know, there is service, right? You can either cut somebody's wood or you can offer them a bath in your jacuzzi tub. So I'll never forget that one. I actually get teased about that one quite a bit. So back to the emotional baseline. So we talked about the tipping point. Um, we talked about raising the baseline up until kind of things do make more sense. And again, I can't stress enough self-care. Self-care can be uh, anything that it's a little bit of exercise. It's prayer. It's a devotional. It's mindfulness. Um, there's another plug for mindfulness. It's not only about, you know, learning how to breathe in through your nose and out through the mouth. But again, it's about awareness. And if you listen to any of my other podcasts, becoming aware of your thoughts. You have thoughts going through your head at any given moment that are negative, positive, funny, um, exciting, sad, you name it. But we tend to focus on the negative ones. So just being aware of what's going on in your mind and uh, another plug for that because that's going to be a tool you can use throughout your day, throughout your life. So when you're working on the emotional baseline, I just want you to know you are 100% worth it. It is self-care. It puts you in a better place. And so, and you are already, go, boy, go back and uh, listen to um, uh, the, the episode about habit change. Your brain is still going to kind of kick in there and say, I can't do these things. You know, I've got too many other things to do. You know, your, the habit cycle, the habit center of your brain the, is going to, you know, is going to kick in there and say, no, 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 you can't, you can't take time for yourself. Look at all this stuff you have to do while you then don't do anything because you feel paralyzed. So you're worth it. Work on your emotional baseline. Find those items of self-care that will help you slowly raise your emotional baseline because it will make you a better person, a better husband, a better father, a better employee, a better employer, a better instrument in the hands of God, if that's what your if your goal is. I mean, a better teacher, a better writer, you name it. You need to get that emotional baseline up. Trust me on this one. Um, it is it is one of the fundamental ways to start breaking free from the chains of depression. Um, it, it will help relieve anxiety. It will help you uh, deal better with your spouse. It'll help you be a better parent. Self-care, you need it. So work on that emotional baseline and uh, and start to raise it. If you have questions about this, truly, send me an email at contact at pathbackrecovery.com or go to virtualcouch.xyz and send me, send me your thoughts because um, I, I've literally worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on this. And, and I just, I love that when we're in my office, we're, we're often talking about what have you done for your emotional baseline the last week. And, uh, and it is hard. It can be hard for people to really um, feel like they are deserving of that self-care. But I think, what, fourth, fifth time I'm saying this in the last couple of minutes, you are worth it. Raise your emotional baseline. It makes you a better person, better able to do everything that you want to do in your life. Everything. All right. Uh, let me get down off my soapbox. Okay. So thank you again for all of the support. I got to tell you, um, man, I don't want to sound like a, a narcissist and that's a plug for, I think it was episode four with author Tina, um, about, uh, about, I always want to, when I say Tina, I always want to say Tina Fey, but that was not my author, Tina Fuller and her book about growing up with a narcissistic mom. Still, like it is, it is crazy how much that one has been downloaded. So I know that that one, um, really hit home with a lot of people. But I don't want to sound like the narcissist, but I just, I got to say, I'm so just uh, so grateful for the support for the podcast. The last few days, I couldn't help it. I would come out of a session and I'm jumping over on iTunes. And, you know, at one point I had made the top 10 on the health category of um, podcasts. And, you know, that it, it tracks the top 200 podcasts in that category. And I, and if you read the literature on Apple's submitting a podcast website, there are tens of thousands of podcasts that they uh, that they have um, going through iTunes or going through the podcast app. 
So I'm just grateful for it. I, I My desktop is full of these screenshots where I was just taking pictures of um, when the virtual couch had kind of cracked the top 200, then the top 100, then the top 50, the top 20. And, and I think I got one where it hit number six, but it, and it fluctuates. So when a new episode comes out, it'll go up the charts. And then, you know, it's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? Um, by, by a couple of days later, all the big dogs come back in there because I think more and more people are downloading all of their episodes. But I appreciate the uh, the support. Please, if you have a chance, if you don't mind, head over to iTunes and just click on the rating. Um, a five-star rating, if you feel it's deserving, would be wonderful. And subscribe. And even if you can, write a review. That would be wonderful. It's a great way to uh, to spread the, the news of the podcast. Because I hope you get the sense that my what my goal with this whole thing is, is not just to hear myself talk. As a matter of fact, when I... Man, I, I struggle to listen. It's that thing where, you know, when you hear your own voice, you think, is that really what I sound like? But apparently I'm very nasally, droney, and uh, more monotone than I thought. But I just want to spread the word of, of just hope. And today, this emotional baseline one, I couldn't wait to get to because you're deserving of it. And the more you can work on your, your self-care, the better person you're going to be. And, and I just, I know that. I know that with every fiber of my being. So, um, so head over to virtualcouch.xyz and, uh, and um, there on there as well, there's a place down below that if you do feel like making a small donation to kind of help keep the podcast growing as far as, you know, equipment and, and hosting space and that sort of thing, that's always appreciated. Again, our sponsor was virtual. Nope, I'm the virtual couch. The sponsor, uh, we got pathbackrecovery.com, uh, my pornography recovery website, as well as uh, you can head over to Eli's-Extracts, use virtual couch as the coupon code and get 25% off. And once again, thanks to the lovely, talented Aurora Florence for the song that we end every week with. It's wonderful. So, indeed, raise your emotional baseline and you too will feel like it's wonderful. Life is wonderful. And I will see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most
explode Allow the understanding through To heal the legs and hearts you broke The pain is wonderful The sheetrock walls just might 